Welcome to The Remarkables, Grant Thornton's new podcast that seeks to uncover stories about remarkable people doing incredible things for their community, bettering the world for future generations and inspiring others to do the same. I'm Rebecca Archer and today I'm joined by polar explorers and doctors Gareth Andrew and Richard Stevenson from The Last Great First. They will attempt to complete the first fully unsupported ski cross of Antarctica. Welcome, Gareth and Richard. Hi, nice to be here. Hi, Rebecca, nice to be here. Now, you're about to undertake an incredible expedition, the last remaining polar challenge. Tell me, what's driving you? There are a number of elements to this project. There's the element of this, this incredible journey that's never been completed before, a journey conceived by the great explorers 100 years ago, the chance to, to push the boundaries of, of what's possible and, but also a huge part of it is the fact that we can we can get crucial climate change data that can't be can't be gathered in any other way and will make a significant contribution to our knowledge of the climate now and um, and into the future. And also, you know, a great challenge like this, along with our our partners in Scouts Australia, has the chance to inspire a generation of young people to change what it is that they're most passionate about. So there are, there's a huge amount of good that can come out of this expedition. Now, of course, the expedition was originally supposed to take place three years ago. What happened? What was the delay? You know, there's been some pretty major global events over the last couple of years, and the, the, the COVID pandemic has had a huge impact on, on all of us, and, and particularly on, on Gareth and I and our families. We're both doctors. Gareth's an anaesthetist and works in operating theatres and intensive care, and I'm an emergency physician. I work in emergency departments. And so we've both professionally been very much on the, on the front line of the global fight against coronavirus. And so we first started to plan and prepare for this expedition or more, more than three years ago, really now. And just as we're starting to build momentum, along came the COVID pandemic. And I guess at the end of the day, first and foremost, we're doctors and we saw it as, you know, we needed to step up and, and play our part professionally in the global response. And so the expedition went on hold for probably about a year. Um, and then as we're starting to move on from certainly that kind of most of the early acute phases of the global pandemic, we've been able to step back a little bit and, uh, and refocus our attentions onto, onto the expedition. I understand this isn't your first polar expedition. Can you talk about some of the others that you've done? Well, our first together was an expedition to the magnetic North Pole in 2013. And it was the, the first big expedition we'd been on together. And I think it really set the scene. It was, it was we both really enjoyed being in the polar environment. And we just clicked as a team on that, that first expedition. And it was then that we started talking about the crossing of Antarctica. And, and so it's really been in development for 10 years. And, and over that time, you know, we've, we've been in some pretty tricky situations together that's tested our, tested our metal and our, and our teamwork and our capacity to spend lots of time together. And so and it's, it's come to this point where we think we're, we're ready for this for this monumental challenge, you know, and being most of our expeditions have been up in the up in the high Arctic and, you know, we've had polar bears rummaging around outside our tents in the middle of the night and uh, big polar storms and, and things like that. So we feel like over the last 10 years, we've gained enough experience to give this great expedition a, a good crack. Naturally, an expedition of this magnitude can't be done without a team. What does your support network look like? 
Yeah, so I mean, we're incredibly lucky to have have a hugely supportive team of people behind us. I think, you know, one of the things that we're very aware of with this expedition is that what we're doing it really is kind of pushing the envelope of what is is humanly possible. And to do that, you've got to get everything right. So there's every little facet of the expedition has to be perfect. We need to have everything you kind of normally think of, like your you know your equipment and your your fitness, but also you know things like your nutrition is incredibly complicated. Your training is incredibly complicated. And um, so we've you know, been lucky enough to be able to build a team around us of different people able to focus on those different elements. And we're, we're both, you know, we both have families, we both have young kids. And so first and foremost in that team, of course, is our, is our families, our partners who uh, are allowing us to go away and do these crazy adventures, which is, which is no small thing. But, you know, we have people specifically helping us out with our, our nutrition. So we have a, you know, a couple of different dietitians working with us. We're working with food companies. We're uh, working with food companies like Firepot Foods in the UK, for example, to provide us with bespoke nutrition. We're working with different clothing companies to make sure that we've got exactly the right clothes. We're working with Arcteryx to provide us with it and, and Salomon to provide us with our clothing. We've got um, different people working on some of our fundraising and our, our management, working with you know people that deal with our relationship with sponsors like Grant Thornton, for example. So, you know, there's there's loads of different people that are working on every different little facet of this expedition, and there's no way that we could be pulling something like this off um, if it wasn't for these people helping us in the background. Yeah, and I'd just like to add to that. It's it's almost like Rich and I are at the front of the expedition, that the people that will be on the ice, but not possible without um without the people behind us and the, the really the, the core team would be our team manager which happens to be my wife andrea and the chairman of our expedition mark richardson and also you know grant thornton getting behind us and we really consider grant thornton to be to be part of our team because like rich said there are so many different components to to making this expedition a success and uh, and grant thornton are, are playing a key role in that and we're really we're, we're thrilled that they're they're a part of the mm -hmm. team and and part of this project we talked a little bit earlier on about you know, when you asked us why we're doing this exhibition and for us that the, the sort of enduring legacy of the exhibition is really important and that, that has two key facets to it one of which is the climate science data that is truly adding to the global knowledge bank um, of antarctic climate science and wider climate science but also the community aspect and we have a very close relationship with scouts australia to working with young adventurers young people but also grant thornton ties very keenly into that community aspect of it you know, we want people to be following us. We want people to join the community and be part of the expedition with us. And so relationships with, with companies like Grant Thornton, with all the employees getting behind us is incredibly important for us during the expedition, but also when it comes to the legacy that we build afterwards. I wonder if you could walk me through a day in the life of an explorer in Antarctica. What happens exactly? So basically, we're up at 6am. You start off by chipping away the ice on the zip on your sleeping bag so during the night you know as you as you're breathing your, your breath condenses and and forms this icy cocoon basically around your head so you have to chip your way out of your sleeping bag pull on your thermals open up the tent to get to your little kitchen area which is just in the sort of the porch part of your tent get your stove running and remember it's minus it's minus 30. So you're touching bits of metal with your, with your gloves on to get your stove running. But once the stove is on and burning, you're back in your happy place. But getting first getting out of your sleeping bag is probably one of the hardest things you can do. And then it's breakfast. So a, a hot breakfast and a cup of tea. And then, um, and then we break down the camp. We pack everything up, pack our tent up um, and leave nothing behind. So there'll be no trace that we've ever been there. And then we're off on our skis at 8 a.m. 
So we move at military efficiency, essentially. So those two hours in the morning, every step of that is put in place as part of our systems. And then we're on to our skis at 8 a.m. And then over the course of the day, we'll ski for an hour and a half. And then we'll have a 10 minute break, 10 to 15 minute break. And then we'll do that five times throughout the day. So five, one and a half hour skiing sessions. And then we'll, we'll finish the day on our skis at 6 p.m. And then from 6 till 10, as soon as we finish, as soon as we get off our skis, our tent is up straight away. And we're, we're in the tent and we're eating and resting and recuperating for the following day. Because it's such a long expedition, everything that we do is geared towards efficiency and, and forward movement. So when we're not actually on our skis, everything we're doing is making us you know, ready for the next day. And it's all about performing at our best when we're feeling our worst. So, you know, really recuperating when we can. Um, and then as soon as we get to 10 p.m., we're in our sleeping bags and uh, and we're asleep. So it, the other thing is, because it's such a long expedition, we've, we're going to be very strict on our sleep time. So we'll get eight hours of sleep every night. Um, because if we start chipping into that, thinking, oh, maybe we'll ski just a little bit further today or, you know, we've got kit to fix, so we'll, we'll stay up an extra hour. You start getting into a sleep debt and because we're going to be, you know, exercising so intensely, that sleep debt will accumulate very fast. So we've got a strict uh, eight-hour policy on, on our sleep and, and that's generally how our day will go. Okay, so that's one and a half hours, five times a day that you're on your skis, physically on the ice. How much distance would you cover on an average day? We have a pretty narrow or pretty tight seasonal window in Antarctica for covering a sort of distance. So we have to cover 2,600 kilometres. Obviously, conditions in Antarctica are pretty extreme at the best of times. You know, essentially you need the Antarctic summer to be able to exist out there with people in tents. So we're going to start right at the beginning of that Antarctic summer. We're going to finish right at the end of that Antarctic summer. We're already pretty pushing those envelopes with about 100 to maybe 110 days out on the ice. So that means we've got to cover about 26 kilometres a day, every day, over the course. So actually, in terms of speed, you're skiing at maybe three or four kilometres an hour, but it's got to be incredibly sustained. And as we're skiing, all of our equipment is... Um, in these sleds behind us. And those sleds are going to probably weigh about 200 kilos at the start of uh, each at the start of the expedition. So basically just maintaining this really slow, well, slow, steady pace for an extremely long period of time. You mentioned the polar bears foraging around outside your tent. Uh, Beyond that, what sort of other challenges do you expect to face and how exactly do you prepare for those? I think there are the, the immediate challenges that you face in the Antarctic environment. Just, to, you know, primarily minus 40 with a headwind, you know, it's, it's a challenge itself just to just to stay alive in those sorts of temperatures. And then you put on top of that huge storms, you know, wind that will, will literally, you know, blow you off your feet. And then all the way through to, you know, they're, they're the physical challenges that, that we're going to face. But by far, the, the biggest challenge is, will be mental. I talked a little bit about, you know, getting out of your sleeping bag every, every morning being one of the hardest things. But, you know, getting out of the tent in the morning, knowing that you've got a gruelling day ahead of you on your skis, dragging this incredibly heavy sled. You know, and when you're on day 80, 
Well, you're on sort of day 60 where you're still, you're only just past halfway. You've got a huge distance to go. You're starting to feel tired. You know, those are the days uh, where the biggest challenges come. And, you know, how do you prepare for, how do you prepare for that? Well, we go, we go on expeditions together. You know, we've been preparing for 10 years for those mental challenges. We have days where one, one of us is up and one of us is down and it's the person, the, the one that's up is, you know, is the one that, you know, drags the other one along and, and that's where, and that's where teamwork comes in and just little things, just working little psychological things into every day, you know, a smile and a handshake at the start of every day before we get on our skis. I mean, it, it seems silly, but it, it sets the tone brings you back together as a team um it makes a massive difference so all those things over the years we've just been working into our um you know our daily routines and it, and it really helps you're of course both doctors so if one of you gets sick or hurt you're in a pretty good position to be able to deal with that obviously that's very handy but if you do become sick it's not as though you can just pop down the road to the pharmacy you're in antarctica so how do you deal with that kind of situation first and foremost it's about prevention and one of the things that we're aware of this is such a long expedition and We've got to avoid wear and tear as much as we possibly can. There's a certain amount of, well, of course, it's inevitable, but you can minimise that. And, you you know, 26K every day, pulling two of the kilos behind you for 110 days, you basically got to be able to just do keep doing that forever. You can't be getting blisters. You can't be getting aches and pains in your joints. You can't be getting a bit low on your micronutrients. You can't be skimping on your calories. Um, even just a few calorie deficit every day is going to have a huge cumulative effect over the course of the expedition. Part of that in our whole strategy for the expedition is main, making this kind of almost a way of life rather than a kind of sprint for the finish because it's such a long expedition. But it's, you know, there is always going to be the risk that we either have health problems or we have injuries. We'll carry a certain amount of medical equipment with us. As with all of our equipment, you know, you make the same argument for, say, for example, spare tent poles. You know, if we break a couple of tent poles uh, and we can't get our tent up properly, that's the end of the expedition. But how many spare tent poles do you take when every single spare tent pole adds however many grams to the sled that you're pulling? And that's a tension that exists for everything that we're doing and all of our planning. And the same goes for medical supply. And, um, you know, between the two of us, we can apply some pretty advanced medical techniques if required but how much of equipment required to do that do we take with us so at the end of the day we're basically going to have a fairly robust if you like for injuries training and sprains you know minor trauma we're going to be carrying drugs to treat some infections and to pain and a few other things but fundamentally we can't do that much more than sort of people with basic medical training would be able to do what we can provide though is that mutual support and spotting so we'll be keeping an eye on each other constantly. And it's another facet of the teamwork is that what we probably do have as doctors is that sort of spider sense about looking at other people, telling if they're sick, telling if they're crook, what's wrong, you know, at making sure that things don't spiral or get too far or make sure that people aren't, um, the other one of us isn't kind of getting crook without knowing that we're getting crook and intervening early. And if we have to get evacuated, we do have... The, the, the sort of the means required to summon help. Um, and though there's a potential for us to have to cope for several days, potentially on the weather before rescue can get to us, we will always be able to, to, to summon help and evacuation will always be an option on the expedition. But just to add a little bit to that, in terms of our, our, our teamwork and things, it's, 
it's why we choose to go on these expeditions together. And it's, it's, it's why you have to select your teammates so carefully when you're entering, you know, adversity and, and dangerous environments and things. So a huge amount of what we do is, is care for each other basically and, and help each other through. And like Rich said, recognize when one of us is getting, getting sick and when one of us is down. If you don't have a teammate that's going to look after you at your lowest point, then you may as well not, not go in the first place. So that's a huge element of our team and the expedition. Mental fortitude obviously plays a huge role in taking on an expedition like this. What sorts of things do you fall back on when the going gets tough? One of the things that Gareth and I have noticed over the years of doing these things together is we, we're quite good at, at almost working kind of synergistically with this naturally, which I think is an important point of, of how we work together. We tend to have opposing good and bad days. You know, we tend to have a day where, where whichever one of us is in, is in a grump for some reason, the other one is feeling reasonably perky and we're quite good at having that team dynamic. And, and I think, you know, I, I still remember a time actually, I don't know if I've ever told this story before, that we were on our crossing of Iceland and we were on our our last day our second to last day we're both knackered we're carrying these 50 kilo rucksacks which is just a crazy weight to be carrying on your back and we're, we're a bit miserable but we're nearly getting to the end of it and, I, and we were trying to bash our way through a bunch of kind of arctic scrubby tundra next to a river there was no track um we needed to cover i don't know 30k that day or, or something and it was at the start of the day and i was in a right mood and i was rumbling along to myself about how terrible it was going to be all day and gareth just called me out on it it was like rich just stop it, right? You can't keep, stop moaning. We need to stay positive. And he was totally right. And I was like, oh yeah, maybe I should actually just shut up and get on with it. And like, that was exactly what I needed to be told at that time. And I think that, you know, calling out, talking about stuff openly, not bottling stuff up is the way that, you know, is a tenant to, to why we, we function well in that, in that domain, I think. It sounds like an extremely close bond, a relationship almost like family, really. How exactly did you both meet and how did all of this get started? We are, we are family, which is quite, kind of helpful. We're brother-in-laws. So Gareth's uh, sister is my, is my partner. For the Magnetic North Pole expedition that, uh, that I mentioned before, I was looking for a teammate, basically. And it's quite difficult to find people with the right skill set and the right and the inclination to do something like that and the, and I was talking to my sister about it and Rich overheard and you know Rich has got a, a long mountaineering adventuring background even before we met and uh, he basically said I'll come and that was we, we didn't really know each other very well then. I think Rich and Rich and Laura have only just yeah we've not been together very long and because you know we're it's originally, you can probably tell by the accent, but we both, you know, Gareth's lived in Sydney for what, nearly 20 years now, have you? And I've, I've lived in New Zealand for more than 10 years. And so when I first met his sister, we, uh, you know, I don't think I had, it took me a few years before I, before I met Gareth. And uh, I still remember they were on FaceTime um, chatting about stuff and I, and I was bumbling around in the background somewhere and then suddenly my ears pricked up. She just mentioned a polar expedition and I suddenly stopped, you know, doing the washing up or whatever I was doing in the background was like, Oh, that sounds pretty good. Uh, yeah. I'll just insert myself into this conversation. I'll come. And that's 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 what happened 10 years ago. And here we have today. Yeah, it could have, it could have either have gone very well or very it badly. It could have gone very badly, yeah. <laughs> In terms of actually being out on the ice, what do you do? Do you listen to music? Do you have podcasts going to inspire yourselves? What's your routine while you're out there in terms of keeping entertained and keeping going? 
I think it's a very it's a very individual thing. Uh, during the day, we don't we don't chat very much. It's a, it's actually quite difficult because if you can imagine you're you're wearing a huge polar jacket with your hood up, it's always windy, freezing cold. You've got this big fur ruff. Underneath, you've got a, a neck warmer, a face mask, goggles, and a hat, and sometimes even a balaclava over all that. So holding a conversation when you're skiing is almost impossible. And then when you stop for a break, it's not like, um, you know, it's not really a social occasion. You just sit and you eat as much as you can and then carry on. So really, we only we only generally catch up in the in the tent at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, me personally, I, I, I spent the morning just in my own head with no no music, no podcasts. And then at about two o'clock, just when that sort of afternoon slump comes, I'll put some music on or I'll, I'll listen to a podcast or something like that. Um, just to get me through the last couple of hours, because part of what I really enjoy about these expeditions is is just the silence, or just the the swoosh of your skis. You know, you know, there's just the wind in your ears. It's 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 amazing. So I enjoy that for the first part, and then we when you get better a bit fed up of all that stuff, then you can listen to some music. You're working with a lot of different sponsors for this expedition. What stands out to you about them? You know, so many of our different sponsors come from different places. So, like, for example, working with Grant Thornton is incredible for us. For us. It opens up a whole community of people. And just to be backed by a forward-thinking organisation that are really behind us gives us a huge amount of, it gives us a huge amount of support and motivation. And that's why we're so thrilled to have Grant Thornton behind us. And then there are sponsors that are supplying critical things for us. So Arcturix are supplying all our clothing for the expedition and they're basically the world's best brand or the world's best gear for, for extreme environments. And when you only get to take one jacket, one pair of trousers, for three and a half months of possibly the hardest endurance imaginable, you want it to be the absolute best. And when you step outside your tent, you know, we think of our tent as a survival cell, basically. Once we're inside and the stove is on, it's quite remarkable. It can be minus 40 outside, you know, hurricane force winds, but inside the tent, you wouldn't even know about it. It's, it so when, when you step out of the tent, you're really in the elements and that's where your outer clothing plays a huge role. And so Arcturix, you know, they're, they're such an essential sponsor and we're, and we're really proud to be, to be wearing their gear basically. And then, and then there's, um, Suno who, uh, are our, essentially our physiology monitoring sponsor. But, so we'll be using their smart technology to be monitoring everything about our physiological performance. So with heart rate monitors and their latest GPS watches, we'll be able to track every part of our physiological performance from our calorie burn to the meters that we're gaining every day, altitude, all the way through to even tracking our sleep cycles, which is so important and working out how long we're spending in deep REM sleep you know, that rejuvenating sleep, and it will allow us to track how we're performing over three and a half months. And so, you know, and then there are our, our, our food sponsors in Firepot, and look, we've, we've, got a, we've got a huge range of sponsors. I'm not going to go through all of them, but, you know, it just gives you an idea that every single one of them fills a real niche that we need to fill. Yeah, and I think, I think the thing that ties them all together, really, is this kind of willingness to be, to believe, to get excited to want to be involved in something that's kind of pushing the envelope, doing something that's never been done before, doing something that's right at the edge of 
what is kind of humanly possible whilst using that opportunity to inspire new pe young people or other people and shine a light on the greatest existential challenge that is facing humanity and that is climate change. And that's an amazing opportunity. That's what makes us passionate and excited about it. And I think fundamentally that's the same thing that makes our sponsors passionate and excited about it. Absolutely. Well said. Just finally, before we wrap up, I'm interested to know what your little luxuries might be that you really miss when you're out on the expeditions. I think obviously friends and family goes without saying. You must so look forward to seeing them on your return. But what are the little things that when you're out there you really pine for and think, I can't wait to get home to experience that? Um, I'm, I'm a Yorkshireman originally, and I'm afraid that I'm a little bit of a tea addict, which is what I'm drinking right now while we're talking. And I'm going to miss a really nice cup of Yorkshire tea because I'm not going to get that for a long time. Rich drinks more tea than anyone I've ever met. So I can I can back up his um, his assertions towards his tea drinking. Um, for me, I think it's um, the freedom of being in the ocean. And because you go on these expeditions, and you, you don't see the sea for months on end. And then you're, you're wearing a thousand layers of clothing. And yeah, I miss it. Gareth, Richard, thank you so much for your time. The next time we speak to you, you will actually be on the ice. I'm wondering how we can continue to follow your journey. There'll be a map on our website that, um, that will be updated at you know, hourly intervals for a, with, our, with our position in Antarctica. Um, there'll be a blog on, on the website as, as we're going thelastgreatfirst.com.au follow us on instagram there'll be daily updates on instagram the last great first and um and sign up for our newsletter and there's also the ability to donate to the expedition through our website so if you'd like to buy us an, an, an evening meal or a chocolate bar or something like that then you can go to the website and, and donate and there's a lot happening at the moment and as we prepare training in new zealand as we speak um there's loads going to be going on over the next few months before we hit the ice and um, so the sooner the better get there get out there and follow us on instagram and become part of the last great first community thank you both so much for your time today it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and hearing all about your accomplishments up till now and the anticipation for this next expedition i wish you all the very best of luck thanks rebecca thank you if you liked this podcast and would like to hear more from The Last Great First and other Remarkable stories, you can find and subscribe to The Remarkables podcast by Grant Thornton Australia on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Spotify.